Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 28th, 2023. The only podcast that separates the fact from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The U.S. strikes Iranian-linked facilities in Syria as Middle East tensions simmer. Minnesota Representative Dean Phillips will challenge Biden for the Democratic nomination. Alleged North Korea weapons shipments to Russia are condemned by the U.S. and its allies. Hungary's Viktor Orban defends his meeting with Putin. The Taliban releases a prominent girls' education activist in Afghanistan. Estonia claims that three damaged Baltic pipeline incidents are related. A U.S. judge determines Georgia's new congressional map is illegal. A South Korea court upholds a same-sex relationships ban within the nation's armed forces. Arizona's Blake Masters launches a new GOP bid for the U.S. House. And Representative Jamal Bowman pleads guilty to pulling a fire alarm before a key vote. In our top story, according to the Pentagon, the U.S. strikes Iranian-linked facilities in Syria. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, Al Jazeera, Aaron Space Forces Magazine, AL, Iran Front Page, and CBS. According to the Pentagon, the U.S. targeted two facilities linked to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or IRGC, and Iranian-backed militias in eastern Syria on Thursday. The strikes could come amid growing concerns that the Israel-Hamas conflict risks spreading throughout the Middle East. The Pentagon announced that two U.S. Air Force F-16 fighter jets attacked a weapons storage facility and an ammunition depot near Abu Kamal, bordering Iraq, with, quote, precision self-defense strikes. Senior Pentagon officials claim it was a response to a string of recent Iranian-backed attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon specifically alleges Iran-backed militias have launched at least 12 attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and four in Syria over the past 10 days. This comes after President Joe Biden sent a rare message to Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, on Thursday, cautioning him not to target U.S. soldiers in the Middle East, according to the White House. The Pentagon has confirmed that about 900 more U.S. troops have arrived or are heading to the Middle East to reinforce U.S. force protection capabilities amid rising tensions over the Hamas-Israel conflict. The USS Eisenhower aircraft carrier strike group and new air defense systems are also among additional resources being sent to the Middle East, reportedly to improve the protection of U.S. forces in the region. Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts on our first story today. I'm going to start our first round of narrative spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by CNN. The U.S. has the right to self-defense if its forces fighting the Islamic State are attacked by Iranian-backed militias. The U.S. delivered surgical strikes, and there is no doubt that the Iranian regime is the linchpin for the ongoing attacks on U.S. forces in the region. The Ayatollah in Tehran must understand that the American people will not tolerate an escalation of the attacks, which threaten to destabilize the entire region. Washington wants to prevent a widening of Hamas's war against Israel, and hopefully the regime has gotten the message. The establishment critical narrative comes from Tehran Times. While the U.S. repeatedly refers to its right to self-defense, it blatantly ignores the Palestinians' right to self-defense and staunchly backs the Israeli regime's outrageous collective punishment campaign against the people of Gaza. It's absurd to assume that the resistance forces will stand idly by as the West refuses to call for a ceasefire and while Washington vetoes draft U.N. resolutions to end the war. Washington, not Tehran, is fueling the conflict. 
and Iran will continue to support the Palestinian right to freedom. And from time to time, we get statistics-based nerd narratives from our friends at the Metaculous Prediction community. They've got an opinion on this story, and they think that there's a 40% chance that the U.S. government will state that Iran likely helped Hamas plan the October 7th attack on Israel before 2024. Democratic Representative Phillips will challenge President Biden. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Reuters, CBS, CNN, BBC News, and New York Post. Third-term Representative Dean Phillips, the Democrat from Minnesota, on Friday announced he will challenge President Joe Biden for the 2024 Democratic presidential nomination. The millionaire businessman and founder of a gelato company announced his campaign launch in a one-minute online video and then held an event in New Hampshire before filing for that state's primary election. In an interview with CBS, Phillips, 54, explained his decision by citing polling that shows former President Donald Trump defeating the 80-year-old Biden in a potential rematch, and his opinion that it's time for a younger generation to lead the party. Former Republican strategist Steve Schmidt, who came to prominence while working on campaigns for former President George W. Bush and the late Senator John McCain, will be advising Phillips. Biden's job approval rating among Democrats this week dropped to 75%, the worst of his presidency, in a Gallup poll. His overall approval rating is 37%, with 5% of Republicans approving of the job he's doing. Although Phillips admits that this is a long-shot bid, he has a chance to make some noise in New Hampshire. Biden won't be on the primary ballot there in order to comply with the Democratic National Committee's new primary schedule, which now features South Carolina as the first primary on February 3rd of 2024. Adam, thanks for laying out those facts. We check out our first spin. It's an establishment critical narrative coming from Huffington Post. Phillips has the credentials of a candidate who can appeal to moderate voters as proven by his flipping of a former Republican-held district. He can self-fund his campaign and provide a healthy alternative to an unpopular president rather than being a spoiler. If current polling is accurate, Phillips might be Democrats' chance to prevent Trump from returning to the White House. And The Guardian's going to continue the spin with a pro-establishment narrative. This isn't a long-shot bid. It's a no-shot bid by Phillips. No one outside Minnesota knows who he is and the entirety of his in-state party has vowed its devotion to Biden. Phillips is just wasting valuable resources that should go toward making sure Biden serves a second term. Phillips might be doing this to boost his own name, but he could tear the party apart in the process. Fox News gives us a Republican narrative for this story. Democrats claim they want to beat Trump, but polling shows a vast number of Democrats are concerned about Biden's age and don't want him to run for re-election. The DNC might have made a mistake going all in for Biden without leaving open a chance for a challenger who might better appeal to its constituency. This could put Trump in the driver's seat. And the nerds are going to wrap this spin up by saying that there's a 75% chance that Trump and Biden will be the top two candidates in terms of electoral votes received in the 2024 presidential election. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. United States, Japan, and South Korea condemn confirmed North Korean weapons shipments to Russia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, The Hill, BBC News, The Telegraph, and TASS. Washington, Seoul, and Tokyo have strongly condemned the supply of military equipment and munitions from North Korea to Russia, 
claiming in a joint statement that several weapons deliveries have been completed following reports that containers had arrived in a munitions storage facility near the Russia-Ukraine border. The trio stated on Wednesday that, in addition to a considerable increase on the human toll in Ukraine, the shipments could prompt violations of multiple UN Security Council resolutions and undermine international efforts to prevent North Korea from gaining sensitive technologies. The news comes amid concerns that North Korea could receive nuclear or ballistic missiles in exchange for its military assistance. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov has declined to comment on the weapons deliveries but reaffirmed close relations with Pyongyang. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky claimed Russia conducted a drone strike on a nuclear plant in the Khmelnytsky region on Wednesday, injuring 20 people and causing light damage, but not affecting its operations. While reporting, quote, powerful explosions near the plant, International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grassi highlighted the dangers posed by war to nuclear safety. Ukraine's energy ministry added that the blasts also damaged nearby administrative and laboratory buildings, as well as power lines, causing blackouts for more than 1,800 consumers in Netshin and Slavuta. Kyiv has claimed to have destroyed all 11 Russian drones allegedly launched in the attacks. Russia's defense ministry reported Thursday that their forces killed roughly 800 Ukrainian troops and destroyed two German-made Leopard tanks and 27 Ukrainian unmanned aerial vehicles over the past day in Ukraine. Thanks, Eric. Our spins for this story are going to start with an establishment-critical narrative provided by RT International. In its desire to intervene military across the globe, the U.S. has not only stretched itself thin but also pushed its opponents toward cooperation with Moscow. Throughout the Cold War and up until this moment, the West had no reason to fear Russian involvement with the likes of North Korea or Iran. But now that it's ineffectively funded Ukraine while antagonizing Tehran in the Middle East, other nations have the opportunity to lessen Washington's influence and redefine the global order. The pro-establishment narrative comes from Cumnock Chronicle. With reports of over 1,000 containers shipped from North Korea to Russia having been confirmed, the world should be on extremely high alert. Kim Jong-un's regime, which has launched over 100 missile tests since last year, is likely working with Moscow to obtain sophisticated technology, including spy satellites. As he wreaks havoc on the free society of Ukraine, Vladimir Putin has now potentially offered to help Pyongyang do the same to his neighboring democracies. The West must bolster its military preparedness more than ever before. And the Metaculous Prediction community think that there's a 1% chance that North Korea will send at least 100 troops to Ukraine before 2024. Yeah, I don't know how many troops North Korea can spare to help Russia in the Ukraine war. Oh, they've got plenty of troops. You think so? Yeah, yeah they 3D print them over there. Oh, well, that, that's convenient. That's yeah. convenient indeed. You can just keep making more troops. Hungary's Viktor Orban defends his meeting with Putin. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, Guardian, and Radio Free Europe. At an EU summit on Thursday, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban defended his decision to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin during China's Belt and Road Forum last week, after drawing criticism from fellow EU leaders. This comes as Luxembourg Prime Minister Xavier Battelle said Orban's meeting was a, quote, middle finger to Ukraine while Estonian Prime Minister Kaja Kalas expressed disapproval of him shaking hands with the Russian leader, whom she called, quote, a war criminal. Defending his attendance at the meeting, Orban maintained that he's a rare world leader seeking peace between Russia and Ukraine, 
adding that there can't be peace if Western countries refuse to communicate with Russia. However, EU member states, including French President Emmanuel Macron, stuck to their policy toward Russia, condemning the meeting while acknowledging Hungary's sovereign right to act independently of the EU. Macron said Orban should have consulted EU states before attending the Chinese summit. Since Russia's February 2022 invasion of Ukraine, Western countries have imposed rounds of sanctions on Moscow and sent billions in military aid to Ukraine. But Orban and new Slovakian President Minister Robert Fico have threatened to obstruct future aid to Ukraine. Orban is the only EU leader who has met with Putin since the war started. Adam, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from The Guardian. Orban showed his affinity for authoritarianism by shaking hands with Putin and also undermined European unity and security with his actions. The EU has formed a united front in support of Ukraine against Russia's brutal invasion. Yet Orban has been a thorn in the side of democracy and the rules-based international order. Orban must face consequences for his dangerous actions. And there's an establishment critical narrative provided by the Hungarian conservative. While other Western countries continue down the path of destruction by aiding and abetting a never-ending war that's already lasted 20 months, Hungary is seeking a diplomatic solution. This war has been disastrous beyond Russia and Ukraine. And if communication with Putin is needed to end this disaster, leaders have a duty to talk with him. And the nerds of Metaculus have their opinion as well. They say there's an 18% chance that Hungary will leave the EU before the year 2030. According to a recent report from Afghanistan, a girl's education activist has been released by the Taliban. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, Al Jazeera, NPR Online News, and France 24. After nearly seven months in prison, Afghanistan girls' education activist Matula Wessa has been freed by the Taliban. A spokesperson for the Taliban confirmed Wessa's release. The Taliban had not previously officially confirmed Wessa's detention or given a reason. His education organization PenPath and the UN mission in Afghanistan confirmed his detention in March of this year, prompting outrage from foreign diplomats and human rights organizations. Wessa has campaigned for girls' inclusion in education for over a decade, a mission that he pledged to continue even after the Taliban took control of the country in 2021 and enforced harsh restrictions on girls and women. PenPath has been dedicated to visiting rural villages to discuss the importance of education, establishing libraries, and reopening schools in the communities closed due to violence. Afghanistan is the only country in the world with female education restrictions. Since the Taliban took over the country in August of 2021, girls have been banned from attending school after sixth grade. And since December 2022, women have been banned from attending university. Wessa's brother Atula Wessa was notified of his release on Thursday and told journalists that his brother was, quote, on his way back home. Wessa was arrested in March and detained for 215 days for, quote, propaganda against the government. Human rights and diplomatic organizations across the world have celebrated his release, but have also called on the Taliban to release the hundreds of other activists currently what they characterize as being, quote, arbitrarily detained in Afghanistan. Thanks for the facts, Eric. We're going to start our spins with a pro-establishment narrative provided by USIP. The Taliban has increasingly restricted the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan, banning them from higher education, public places, and most forms of employment. These restrictions will have devastating long-term impacts on the country's future. 
The education ban has also worsened the country's international standing, further isolating the nation from the international community at a time when Kabul faces huge economic and humanitarian crises. Wessa is right. There is no way for a country to thrive when half of its population is systematically included from participating. An establishment critical narrative comes from India today. While the foreign press has taken the story of the Taliban's ban on girls' education and ran with it, the plan has always been a temporary suspension, not a full-out ban. The Taliban's administration is taking steps to resolve this issue and will continue to make efforts to do so. But in the meantime, girls up to sixth grade are still receiving primary school education, and women continue to teach and attend Islamic seminaries, work in the healthcare sector, and teach in some schools. Education in Afghanistan is not as bad as Western-dominated international organizations make it out to be. And the nerds think that there's a 50% chance that Afghanistan will allow same-sex marriage by August of 2091. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Estonia says that three damaged Baltic pipelines are related. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Politico, and the Times of India. Estonian Prime Minister Kaja Kalas has claimed that three incidents resulting in damage to a gas pipeline and two telecom cables between Estonia, Finland, and Sweden are related. One of the incidents, which could leave the Baltic connector Finland-Estonia pipeline out of commission until at least April, prompted Finland to raise its risk assessment for gas supply security on Friday. The ruptured underwater lines occurred earlier this month with Finnish authorities this week saying they suspect the culprit to be a Chinese vessel called Nunu Polar Bear, after an initial probe discovered an anchor, which is thought to have caused the damage, on the floor of the Baltic Sea. According to Reuters, which cited ship tracking and maritime analytics provider Marine Traffic, both the Nunu Polar Bear and a Russian boat called Sevmorput were sailing in the area around the time of the incident. It said the Nunu Polar Bear sailed over the telecom cables for 82 miles before reaching the damaged site, then another 20 miles after. While NATO has since increased its surveillance of the Baltic Sea and Norway's Navy has monitored the Nunu Polar Bear, China has said that it would comply with the investigation as required by international law. Finnish Prime Minister Petteri Orpo, who met with his Swedish and Estonian counterparts on Thursday to discuss the matter, said Finland is coordinating with China in the probe, as well as asked the EU to help subsidize repairs for the Baltic connector. Adam, thank you for laying those facts out for us. We're going to begin our round of spins with the pro-establishment narrative coming from Newsweek. While it's true that no one knows the cause yet, there's a reason investigators have so far pointed to a Chinese ship as a suspect. Not only did they find evidence of an anchor, thought to be the Nunu polar bears being dragged across the pipeline, but China as well as Russia, who would have had an incentive to disrupt a European gas supply line. As energy sources become an increasingly important factor in global issues, it's justifiable to point to these countries. And Euronews is providing us with an establishment critical narrative. First of all, no evidence has been found linking any Russian vessels to this incident, which is why Moscow has denied any involvement in the matter. And even though these investigators claim they found evidence of an anchor, the truth is that no abnormalities due to poor sea conditions were found that would suggest the boat was conducting unusual activities. While an investigation must be conducted, it must also be done objectively. A judge rules that a Georgia congressional map is illegal. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, Associated Press, Reuters, NPR Online News, CBS, and NBC. U.S. District Court Judge Steve C. Jones on Thursday ordered Georgia's congressional map to be redrawn by its state legislature after finding that its current boundaries discriminate against black voters. In addition, Jones is requiring the state to draw two new black majority districts in the state's 56-seat state Senate and five new black majority districts in the 180-seat state House. Within the 516-page ruling, Jones wrote that despite great strides in the state, Georgia's political process was still not equally open to black voters, ruling the current map violates the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp has arranged for a November 29th special investigative session to re-examine the maps. Jones, an appointee of former President Barack Obama, has set a December 8th deadline for redrawing the boundaries. GOP state lawmakers last redrew the congressional map in 2021. Recent court rulings in Alabama and Florida also concluded Republican legislatures had unfairly reduced the voting ability of black residents. A spokesperson for the state attorney general, Chris Carr, said his office is, quote, analyzing all legal options while deciding whether to appeal. Eric, thanks for the facts. As you can imagine, with the politically motivated story such as this, we're going to have a few political spins. I'm going to start it off with a Republican narrative provided by Fox News. There remains a chance this decision will be overturned, and Georgia's legislators shouldn't redraw any maps until every legal option has been exhausted. The Obama-nominated judge is simply trying to sway the balance of power in Congress. A Democratic narrative comes from the Atlanta Voice. The decision is a win for democracy and those who stand against voter suppression. Republicans intentionally drew maps that failed to reflect the state's demographics. There's hope that in the near future, it won't take the courts to fight this type of racism. A South Korean court upholds a military same-sex relationships ban. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, CNN, First Post, Yonhap News Agency, and Reuters. South Korea's constitutional court upheld a law prohibiting same-sex relationships in the military on Thursday. In a 5-4 vote, the court ruled that same-sex relationships could harm troops' combat readiness and jeopardize the Army's discipline. According to the country's Military Criminal Act, South Korean military personnel can be imprisoned for up to two years for participating in same-sex relationships. The court ruled that Article 92-6 of the Act, which banned some acts as indecent in the armed forces, was constitutional. Thursday's ruling comes despite the Supreme Court's 2022 decision to overturn a military court's conviction of two soldiers accused of engaging in a consensual same-sex act. It's the fourth time the Constitutional Court of South Korea, which mandates all able-bodied men between 18 and 28 to serve at least 18 months, has ruled against same-sex relationships in the military. Those were the facts, and our first spin is Narrative A coming from Guardian. The decision to uphold an outdated law which fuels violence and discrimination against and stigmatization of soldiers in the LGBTQ community is a distressing setback in the decades-long struggle for gay rights and equality in the armed forces both in South Korea and worldwide. And the narrative B provided by Korea Herald. Allowing same-sex relationships between troops would undermine military discipline, potentially upend the Army's hierarchy, and thus may impact South Korea's military readiness. In addition, Article 92-6 is not meant to punish sexual orientation, but to deter sexual abuse in the Army. 
Blake Masters announces his congressional run. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Associated Press, the Arizona Republic, Newsmax, and Washington Examiner. Conservative Republican Blake Masters, who lost Arizona's midterm election to Senator Mark Kelly last year, announced his candidacy for the state's 8th congressional district on Thursday. Masters joins a crowded field of six other Republicans who are vying to replace Representative Debbie Lesko, who announced last week that she will not run for re-election in the heavily conservative district. Reports swirled that Masters was considering another run for Senate, this time challenging independent incumbent Kirsten Sinema, but he instead chose a House run. Masters earned a coveted endorsement of former President Donald Trump in 2022 and narrowly lost to Kelly in one of the most expensive Senate elections in history. Masters reportedly opted against running for Senate after 2022's GOP gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake announced her candidacy to unseat cinema. Despite their seemingly friendly relationship, Lake opted to endorse former Attorney General candidate Abe Hamada over Masters. While the race between Masters and Hamada will be close, the winner will likely win the Maricopa County seat. A venture capitalist, Masters, 37, worked for billionaire Peter Thiel, running the Thiel Foundation and serving as the COO at Thiel Capital. Senator J.D. Vance, Republican of Ohio who worked at Thiel's Mithril Capital, endorsed Masters as a conservative fighter we need in the House. In a social media post, Masters wrote, Biden has failed. We need Trump back. We need to stop inflation, build the wall, avoid WW3, and secure Arizona's water future. We need to fight for our families. Since entering the political scene, Masters has been an open supporter of Trump's America First style agenda. Thank you, Eric. We got a few spins here to start. We're going to begin with a Republican narrative provided by American Conservative. Blake Masters is a rising young star in the Republican Party, and the Arizona conservatives want him to be their voice in Congress after his first attempt at securing a Senate seat. A stalwart defender of America's first ideals, Masters has the intelligence and business background to be an effective legislator and conservative fighter. Masters is already leading in early polls, and he is the perfect candidate to revitalize the GOP. Counter that with a Democratic narrative coming from the Daily Beast. The Arizona GOP has troubling far-right components, and the emerging war between Carrie Lake and Blake Masters shows its internal dysfunction. Despite both being extreme MAGA candidates, Lake and Masters are battling over supremacy in the state GOP, even though they aren't even running for the same office. While she was a failed candidate, Lake is popular among Republicans, and her endorsement could propel Abe Hamada over the top. Either way, the MAGA movement is crumbling from within. And the nerds are going to wrap up this spin. They say that there's a 1% chance that Blake Masters will be president of the United States before 2070. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Representative Bowman pleads guilty to pulling a fire alarm. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, Roll Call, NBC, and Fox News. U.S. Representative Jamal Bowman, the Democrat from New York, pleaded guilty at D.C. Superior Court on Thursday to a misdemeanor charge of falsely pulling a fire alarm in the Cannon House office building before a House vote. Since triggering the alarm on September 30th, Bowman has claimed the event occurred by accident as he rushed to reach a floor vote on a federal government funding bill. As part of a deferred prosecution agreement with prosecutors, Bowman will pay a $1,000 fine and write an apology letter to the U.S. Capitol Police Chief. In return, prosecutors have agreed to dismiss the charge if he complies with the terms of the agreement before a hearing set for January 29, 2024. 
Prior to his arraignment, Bowman told reporters he was, quote, taking responsibility for his actions and that he was thankful the matter had been resolved quickly. Adam, thank you for the facts. Our first spin is a Republican narrative coming from National Review. It clearly pays to be a Democrat, as the DOJ has protected this member of the president's political party, while Trump and legions of other individuals are being aggressively charged for their alleged attempts to disrupt Congress on January 6, 2021, Bowman gets a mere slap on the wrist for similar behavior. These double standards are outrageous. And the final spin in our final story today is brought to us by The Guardian, and it's a Democratic narrative. Republicans are attempting to distract from their party's disarray. You'd have to be crazy to argue that Bowman's actions are equal to that of the January 6th insurrectionists, who intended to overturn the results of a legitimate Democratic election. Nine deaths have now been linked to the insurrectionist riots, while no one was harmed by Bowman's accidental pulling of the fire alarm. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 28th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts. Find out more at Verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. 